Welcome to everybody here. I'm Gregory Amanoff, the president of the National Academy. Uh, we're currently in the school. I guess I hope some of you have been in here before, I assume, and maybe some of you got uh, snuck into the uh, exhibitions that we have up uh, tonight. This is a very unusual organization. The National Academy is the oldest uh, artist organization, artist-run organization in the United States, founded in uh, 1825 by Samuel F.B. Morse, who you know from his art and from his Morse code. Uh, we have been working very hard here at the Academy uh, with our amazing staff and the academicians uh, who are at the heart of this organization to really move this place forward. We've had great exhibitions. I hope you've seen some of them. The Edward Dickinson Show, very notable show, uh, the uh, Innis Show this last year, uh, and the exhibitions that we have up now. Uh, we have some flyers out there, and we hope you get a chance, if you haven't been up, to see the Photorealist Project by Xavier uh, Veillon which is uh, kind of a crazy thing for us to have here and really interesting. We have a show that's curated by one of our esteemed uh, academicians of drawings by other academicians by William Bailey, whose work I'm sure you know. And, uh, and of course, we have the uh, um, Jean-Claude and Christo exhibition, which will be discussed tonight. Uh, coming up, we have uh, another lecture here. Uh, Christo and Jean-Claude will be speaking on November 18th in this very room uh, as part of our Louis Finkelstein Artist Lecture Series. And also, I'm happy to announce that we're uh, on the move here, and we're going to have another uh, review panel on Friday, December 3rd. And if you'd like to be on all those mailing lists and so forth, there is a, a piece of paper out there. When you leave, please sign up. So come visit us often, both for these events and around in the front. Uh, also, I can tell you that um, after this cycle of exhibitions is over, uh, our big show, uh, curated by our own Isabel Dervaux, our chief curator, uh, it's called Surrealism USA, and it opens in early February. It's going to be a really neat show, uh, originated here. Really interesting look at, at surrealism in the United States. So uh, we hope you come. Uh, let me, without any further ado, uh, introduce David Cohen. I'm sure most of you know him. He writes for the New York Sun. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. He it is correct. It is correct. The New York Sun. I'm thinking the Observer. I'm thinking I'm still hungover from Tuesday night. You can forget that. I'm sure we all are. Uh, he writes for the New York Sun. He runs a great website, artcritical.com, and also is the curator of the gallery at the Studio School. And uh, we're happy to co-host the review panel uh, with him at the National Academy. This is his idea, and it's a great success. David Cohen. Thank you very much indeed, Gregory. And let me do the thank yous that usually come at the end, at the beginning, because at the end one, one is always high and then uh, forgets to thank the people who've, who've made this, uh, this all possible. A very special thanks to Gregory Amanoff and also to the treasurer of the National Academy, Susan Shatter, for really running with this idea and helping to make it possible. And an, an equal um, heartfelt thank you to Dr. Annette Blaugrund, the um, executive director of the Academy, and all of her wonderful staff for dealing with everything uh, so wonderfully. And as, um, as Gregory mentioned, uh, we're, we're very pleased to be able to um, host a number three review panel here at the Academy on December the 3rd. The panelists uh, will be Joe Fife, contributing editor at artcritical.com. Um, Andrea Scott, the arts editor of Time Out magazine, and Roberta Smith, art critic for the New York Times. Our panel this evening, my guests this evening, are Arthur Danto, art critic for The Nation, and Johnsonian Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at Columbia University, 
uh, author of numerous seminal uh, books in philosophy and art criticism, most recently um, The Abuse of Beauty, published last year, and a selection of writings um, uh, that is coming out next year from uh, Farrell Strauss to be titled um, Unnatural Wonders. Uh, Mario Navis is art critic of the New York Observer, where his um, uh, about the galleries, around the galleries... Currently Colin, hanging. Currently <laughs> hanging. So sorry. Currently <laughs> hanging. <laughs> oh, it's me that's gallery going. Okay, yes. Currently hanging is, uh, is, is, is a... Is a Essential feature of both the Observer and, and of uh, New York arts coverage. Um, he is uh, also equally an artist. He exhibits his work at the Elizabeth Harris Gallery. Uh, he has written for such publications as the New Art Examiner, the New Criterion, the Wall Street Journal, and Slate. And he teaches painting and drawing at the Pratt Institute. And Katie Siegel is associate professor at Hunter College and the contributing editor at Art Forum magazine. Uh, she is also the author of many uh, catalogue essays and, and books and publications. The one she tells me she's most proud of, which, of course, is the one that's The Newborn Baby, published just weeks ago in London, um, titled Art Works Money, and co-authored with her husband, uh, Paul Matic. It's from uh, Thames and Hudson. So, ladies and gentlemen, our panellists. Let me explain the format of the evening. We're going to be reviewing four exhibitions. And I'm going to just show you a few uh, JPEGs of those shows, but you, of course, have all been traipsing around New York to see those shows to make this a really lively and stimulating evening. Uh, but just to, re just to refresh our memories, we'll show some images. And um, I'm not, as I did last time, going to read from the press releases because that has the disastrous effect of <laughs> imposing, a review, uh, imposing some view on people. So the format of the evening is as follows. We will review each exhibition um, in turn. At the end of each segment, at the end of each review, we'll open it up for some response from the audience. So you're not going to have to sit there bursting with things to say till the very end of the evening and then forget what you were going to say about the first show. After a, a 15 minutes on each show, we open it up to you to, to hear what you think, to get short comments from you, pointed questions, whatever, before we then skip on to the uh, next um, exhibition. So uh, if you're bursting to heckle, there's no real need to because you'll soon be a distinguished, honoured and invited speaker if you just can wait for anything up to 15 minutes. So our shows are Barbara Kruger at the Mary Boone Gallery in her trademark idiom, the um, punchy graphics slightly reminiscent of uh, Russian constructivism or um, uh, German design of the 1920s with a kind of uh, punchy uh, agitprop um, feel and sentiment. Help. I've worked hard, business is booming, and I've decided to enter politics. The campaign is going really well, but I've just found out I'm pregnant. What should I do? <laughs> and, of course, upstairs we have uh, Christo and Jean-Claude. This is um, an early work, a wrapped violin. The maverick performance pop artist, best known, of course, for his... Uh, 
monumental projects to wrap uh, buildings around the world. The Reichstag here in Berlin. Here's a model of it. This is his, project, his, his upcoming project, the Gates series in Central Park, a, a preparatory drawings for it. A wrapped island. I don't think it's Manhattan, but maybe it is. No. 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 Where is it? Oh, right. Yes. It's an island. It's a crystal. They're heckling already. Well, they're correcting an ignoramus who hasn't done his homework. That's different. Uh, the Pont Neuf in Paris. And that's, that's it for Christo. And next we'll be looking at Carol Dunham's latest show at Barbara Gladstone Gallery in Chelsea, where I think for the, a departure in his career, the sculpture as well as painting, these sculptures are uh, uh, laser-cut steel. The paintings arranged in uh, diptychs, um, offering um, perhaps or purportedly offering two perspectives on one scene and at different angles. And this um, very pronounced outline, perhaps recalling Picasso's uh, uh, work of the 1920s, while the palette and uh, some of the cartoony character puts us in mind of Philip Guston. A whole room of the sculptures presented on these uh, rather Ikea-ish coffee tables. <laughs> and our last exhibition, this is a sort of... Um, an art sandwich on agitprop, you could say. We begin and end with uh, politically motivated art. Um, uh, this is the work of Tom Ottenes. You can visit his website and uh, click on each individual um, icon there and, and see the work in detail. The, the, the reason I put that up is just to emphasize that the exhibition is, is not in a gallery, but is to be seen. You know, exhibition is the wrong word, perhaps. The, the, the project is to be seen uh, between... Uh, Columbus Circle and 168th Street on New York's Upper West Side, um, placed in str strategic spots, for the most part in uh, the little islands in the middle of uh, Broadway. That's his um, Gulliver figure. And the, uh, the, the obligatory photograph of children clambering on sculpture, which vindicates its uh, status as public art. <laughs> Perhaps the, the, the author of the work, um, Artworks Money, is going to be able to shed particular light on an artist whose principal motif is a, is a money bag. And just to remind you, I'm a participating panellist. Given my little spiel, my thank yous, and my slideshow, but here on in, I'm, an, I'm a sort of uh, fourth among equals, as it were, in this panel. It's, it's not the usual traditional role of the um, polite moderator who's bringing out the best and his distinguished guests. Um, for better or worse, I, I'm counting myself as a distinguished guest. Ladies and gentlemen, um, or rather co-panelists, uh, Barbara Kruger, first thoughts? Um, the Pledge of Allegiance. I, I, when I saw it uh, at, at Mary Boone's, I thought it was part of a diptych. The other part was the American flag, which uh, she... Um, uh, had next to it uh, in, in, in which she had written somewhat 
oracular lines. They were very powerful uh, lines as uh, the the stripes, and there was actually language where the stars would be. I think that the white, uh, the red, white, and blue, the white, white was blank, but I was hoping you'd show show that. And and I thought that the... uh, that this is what you're pledging allegiance to, yes. and uh, uh, that that together they make a comment quite different from what you're likely to get as just transcription, uh, even, in, even including under God, which yes. astonished me a little bit uh, uh, for Barbara that she she put that in there. Uh, uh, that uh, if you just see mm-hmm. that bit. The Pledge of Allegiance. You get a very misleading view yes. of what that work is. Yeah, my JPEG of the flag piece was too small to uh, utilize, which is a shame. I didn't. I didn't register them as a diptych. I, I thought that they were. I registered the whole show as a statement. And I think within the context of the whole show, the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance is ironic enough. I don't think the under God is is uh, surprising or disturbing for Barbara because the whole thing is steeped in this kind of rather vicious irony. Um, and clearly, she is not a, you know, a Republican from Ohio. But, you know, but I guess I would ask, what, what, what is she? You know, if you look at the, the context of the show, and I think that's one of the problems of, you know, questions if you're going to review a show that, that is a sort of mini-retrospective, especially to ask, what did the work mean then, and then what does it mean now? And what in God's name does it mean at Mary Boone's gallery on Fifth, Fifth Avenue, you know, with creepy Mary Boone on the other side of that divider, you know, on the phone, flogging the work. And, and so, so what, is that, what does any of that, you know, political art mean in that, in that context? And I think you can't just look at the Tom Otterness in context. I think you have to look at the Barbara Kruger in context as well. And sure. It was a big fa- failure to me, I guess, in that light. Because of its context. It was in some I've, dingy... Um, warehouse in Dumbo. And I think they tried to do that. They had in that, that, that poster for Aki for the, the, the magazine from 15 years ago, 1984, to sort of mm-hmm. try to bring mm-hmm. the grunge to, to Fifth Avenue. And I thought that was, that was pathetic. Okay. And I wasn't here. You know, I was mm-hmm. in college when the, when the work was first being mm-hmm. shown. So, you know, maybe Arthur could speak to that, that difference, you know, between, between now and then. But I don't like the work at all. And I thought the context only made it worse. And was her attempt to try and make herself seem political or in on the, the moment, because that's what the cool galleries are doing now. Well, I, I, the show came as a, as a great relief to me, having suffered through her recent uh, installations and LED displays and, and those god-awful sculptures of Marilyn Monroe and Herbert Hoover and all the rest of it. I'm just glad to see she's doing something a little less authoritarian than she usually does. Um, having said that, I, I, I've never been a great fan of the work. I have a, a, a friend who calls the work Gucci Marxism, and I, I think that's um, an apt description of it. Um, my favorite piece, actually, because I just think it's very telling, is um, what is it? A picture's worth more than a thousand words. Yes, that was a departure, wasn't it? In, in its um, both in its color and in its uh, uh, hint of poetry. But I think the flag piece that, that Arthur mentions. That did sort of take me a little by surprise because it didn't have this some searing anger that is the familiar um, motif in her work. The, the it was elegiac. It was elegiac, and it was it was basically saying, you know, what are you really pledging allegiance to? Is it homes for everybody? Is it warmth? Is it 
employment is it is it you know it was a kind of yes it's reminding us that there's a sort of um, light on a hill socialism as well as her sort of hatred of of, of the prevailing order yeah well I, I, I thought that 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 uh, the language in in Barbara's work uh, was exceptional it, it changed from uh, these these barbed uh, uh, mm-hmm. Phrases uh, to to almost a kind of poet. It was a bit like Jenny Holzer, mm-hmm. a- ambiguous, a little bit abstract, poignant, and um, I, I I didn't write down because I thought we'd have the slide to yes. to, to re- re- refer to. But mm. uh, here's the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, affirmative, and then here's the. That 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 flag, and uh, it's a very different picture of the flag that you're paying, uh, uh, pledging allegiance to than one would have thought. That's why I, I saw they were both on uh, the back wall, and I thought they they really really did go together. And I think it's not, you know, it's obviously not an accident that she put that show on at the time of the sure. election. How we feel about it now, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I mean. Uh, uh, I think I think you know I I'd, I'd be in support of somebody taking up a collection to, to present the pledge of allegiance to the National Gallery with that flag and uh, compliments to the people of New York you might say and uh, but would would the National Gallery be the right place how about well, the I'm trying American, to think of a American place. History Museum or something uh, you uh-huh. see I mean it's maybe it's a, a sort of banal philistine statement of somebody who never really got conceptual agitprop art but um, I wonder to what extent one is really there and able to have an aesthetic experience with work like Barbara Kruger's you can't. Which, which is just so much about in your face, this is my politics right. it better be yours as well, buy it I've always felt that Barbara Kruger exhibition should have oxygen tanks for the viewer because Barbara Kruger literally sucks all the air out of the room there is no room for argument with Barbara Kruger and that's why I'm kind of surprised you should say the work, that one work is poetic well, that a picture's one, worth more than a thousand words. It strikes me for Barbara Kruger, pictures are considered less, worth less than a thousand words. Mm-hmm. And they're there just to suit her end, uh, to uh, suit her ends, which are political in nature. So, um, I don't know, she, she drowns out all argument, in my, my opinion. I guess for me, because I'm, I think her... I think the politics are so, you know, mute. They can't speak in in the context she, in which she usually shows, um, and are not particularly productive, anyways. But but I guess for me, the experience is almost entirely aesthetic, and it's a aesthetic of graphic design. It's one that we're all very familiar with, and certainly that artists have been playing with for a long time. So so for me, the experience is is largely aesthetic, and and. Some of, some of the things work better than others. The flag worked better for me, you know, as sort of a gimmick, graphic design gimmick, and I thought that that color picture, the AGFA thing, you know, didn't work. So, so weirdly, I, I evaluate Which them. Which is the AGFA thing? The you color, mean the, the, the pretty girl and the, the different the colors one thing? The, a picture is worth... It looks like it says, it looks like the letters at the bottom spell it AGFA, they're cut off in half, and so I assume it's an ad from the 50s for AGFA color slide film. Mm. Is, is her politics as, as anachronistic as her uh, graphic design sense? Her, I don't. I mean, I assume her politics are that she don't like she doesn't like George Bush, which is you know mm. perfectly in fashion. You know, not right. I mean, and appropriate. It's not. It's not. It's not that they're anachron. It's not that they're anachronistic. It's that if she what, what is she what is she doing? If she's if she's trying to express her her politics, that's what art has always done, and that's mm. a perfectly good use for art, is to express your emotions, your politics, what is the artist feeling? If she's trying to, to speak to people or convince people, then, then, then it, it's, 
fails completely. Barbara Kruger speaks at people. Mm. And who, which people? Who, who, who are the people in that? Those who were in that gallery. Fortunate enough to go in the gallery. It, it seems to me uh, if we, Arthur should perhaps be coming to Barbara's defense because the yeah, three of us seem to be absolutely. united. Uh, my, my, my feeling is almost that uh, um, her, when I say is her politics anachronistic, I don't mean is it anachronistic to be critical of late capitalism and not like George Bush because, of course, well, that's not hopefully totally anachronistic yet. But what I do think is anachronistic is, is her agitprop mentality. I, by, by her politics, I mean not her beliefs, but the way in which she uh, advances them. And I wonder if she's almost... There's a kind of fiddling while Rome burns sense of just helping yourself from the image bank of history to Russian constructivist and, and, and Berlin Dada um, graphic design sense, as if that's just something you can throw at Americans today. And that 60s radicalism. Well, what do you think it should... Uh, what, what? Oh, here we are. Yeah, we've got it. <laughs> Gallery Guide. Uh, Gallery has, Guide, uh, great. Marvelous. Even the gallery guide's political now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that, there we are, right? I'll read that. Read it so that we yeah. get a sense of the... Okay. Who is free to choose? Who is beyond the law? Who is healed? Who is housed? Who speaks? Who is silenced? Who salutes longest? Who prays loudest? Who dies first? Who laughs last? And then uh, in the uh, where where the stars are usually displayed, look for the moment when pride becomes contempt. Ah, uh, that doesn't sound like prop to me at all. As a matter of fact, it sounds like Confucius. I mean, I, these are very these these are very powerful sentences, imperatives, and as I say, it's 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 somewhat elegiac at, at the same at the same time, and and to have this in in that strident after all, what is the red, white, and blue when you think about it? It's it's a, a marvelous piece of graphic design, if nothing else, yes. uh, instantly recognizable and so forth. Doesn't need a lot of interpretation. I thought putting the language onto the flag that, that way was a pretty, pretty powerful idea. Well, her language in this piece um, seemed to be, somebody, was it you, Katie, who mentioned Jenny Holzer, seemed to be, by Kruger's standards, a little less uh, crudely, emphatically ideological than usual, but I wondered how much less. I wondered if it wasn't... Um, if, you, if it wasn't a kind of... There's, there's still... We still get the message pretty clearly, don't mm -hmm. we? There's not much room in Barbara Kruger for ambiguity. I think it's all ambiguous. I mean, you're... Uh, uh, none of these things is necessarily self-evident. Self the classical Kruger poster, Your Body is a Battlefield, I Shop Therefore, I Am... The one I really love is Don't Be a Jerk. I, I think that, you know, I, th I think ev everybody should wear one of those. Don't be a jerk, and so forth. I think that uh, that's the most urgent message around these days. I'd like to have it broadcast, carried by airplanes across the Hudson River, like, Je you know, like Jenny, Jenny Holzer's things, and, and so forth. And is it ambiguous? Uh, it, it's too urgent for us to worry about ambiguity. 
Right. She's, she's, she's accessing... And, I mean, considering the way the world is, yes. you feel, let's have a lot more Barbara Kruger. Uh, and, uh, and what should it be in? You know, <laughs> L- LED lettering, I mean, to make it contemporary? Well, this, is, a, this, is, this, is for, um, this is for New York intellectuals, isn't it? You could say, let's have much more Barbara Kruger. If you look at it from the other side of the political spectrum, if you go to sort of tele-evangelism or... Uh, uh, whatever you've got, lots of Barbara Kruger, but it's it's not for intellectuals in New York. It's for can I, can I even say even on the else. same side of the political spectrum, you can rue Barbara Kruger's work. Yeah, I mean it, it's I just God, I hope we don't get any more Barbara Krugers, just because that sounds like a Barbara Kruger. <laughs> <laughs> I look for it in the next show. But Mario and Katie are, are actually teaching younger artists and. I don't think many of them are likely to be Barbara Kruger's. This, that's why I feel that, that, that she really is something of a, a in, in a time capsule. I wouldn't take what younger artists are interested in as any real <laughs> measure of what anybody should, you know, like as far as art goes. They have a tendency to like whatever is in the last art form a little bit, a little bit too much. So I guess I would never criticize an artist on the grounds of being anachronistic. There are too many great artists that are not people are not interested in today because they're not. They're not fashionable anymore. I guess my feeling is, you know, I liked Barbara Kruger when I was 18 years old. I saw her in a magazine, and, and her and Holzer the work because it's graphic reprints well. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I think, I guess that's why I was asking Arthur, does it mean something different than in New York? I wasn't in New York. I was in Ohio, and I, I, I liked the work because it was as angry as I felt, and I, I mistrusted, I mistrust the political impulse that maybe resonates with an 18-year-old, year, 18 and I guess, you know, and, and I, I think you, what you also see, the problem with her and Jenny Holzer, and right now I think both of their markets are, are people are trying to prop them up, and that's why they're both being revived right now, and they're having the 80s East Village show, and, you know, Julian Schnabel and Eric Fischel, you know, it's, a lot of this is the market, people trying to, 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 hold, them, to hold them up, these, the investments people already made in this work, and the work is quite quite expensive, you know, and beyond the easy irony of, of all that, you know, what did they, these are all mid-career artists we, we, talk, we talked about for this thing, and you can see some of them are having an easier time than, uh, than others, you know, and so what does Barbara Kruger do next? I think that's a big problem, and then does the work mean something different now than it did 20 years ago? What have people issued this as a lapel pin? For example, I mean, who would wear that? It's a bit of a slow read for a yeah. lapel pin. Well, I know, I know, but that—that—that's uh, that, the thing. The moment you look, you're caught up in a very different experience than uh, the lapel pin that we yes. see on all candidates. Well, little successful I, and unsuccessful. Little that I like Kruger. I I welcome as a like a, a, a silver lining or a, a beacon of hope the degree of poetic ambiguity that's in this new language. Should we open it up now? John. Yeah, um, I think that you should keep in mind, especially as far as the graphics go, Barbara, it's not all Dada. Um, she studied with uh, Alexander Lieberman and worked for Condé Nast and did layout on Vogue covers. And, you know, those graphics, especially 20 years ago, they were something that had to do with kind of skewing the way that, you know, uh, the mass media address. So in a way, it exactly was Gucci Marxism, you know, where the poetic ambiguity comes from the fact that I'm actually sort of surprised that you're talking about Barbara Kruger telling you this through this work, where 
I think what she did, you know, uh, was the word of the appropriate. She appropriated the mass me media voice to kind of like skew the address of mass media. She brought politics into it. And, you know, there's so much boundary crossing going on now that we forget that at the time, you know, that was the value of that work was it was kind of like a, a voice, um, it was a displaced artist voice, but also a borrowed media voice. And um, it was almost like, in a way, because the stuff was so big and pounding, that it kind of raised your consciousness of the kind of totalitarianism uh, in mass media. Okay. You know, and that, now that's a little tired, but mm -hmm. that's what we're dealing with. With our So you're saying the work is dated? Uh, He's saying that in its moment, it, it had more power than we're giving it credit for. Mm -hmm. Which is another way of saying it's dated, but it's <laughs> a nicer way. Yeah. No. I'm saying that it's not. It's yes. still not really. I think her voice exactly. You know, I think that it's about right. a kind of displaced address. Yes, there's no reason why the the poetic language that Arthur and I are beginning to Arthur loves and I'm beginning to like a little should be any more really her than the graphic design that she appropriates. That's, that's what I'm getting from Joe Fife's comments, and I, I tend to agree with it, that the, the sentiment, uh, I think she's a very sentimental artist, the sentiment is as borrowed as the uh, means of conveyance. Some other comments from the... Well, I mean, I what Kate talked about context, I think, is really important. I mean, preaching in a converted Barry Boone is like playing. But I would love to see that stuff in downtown Cincinnati. Exactly. You know, that would be in a different context, like somehow mm -hmm. in public where you're... you're you're giving it right back to the obvious Republican majority. I mean, I, I kind of like that work in that she does speak the truth, and truth is never irrelevant. At least what I see is the truth, and obviously what she sees is the truth. And it's ironic, you know, that 20 years after Reagan is elected, we have a kind of culmination of this crap coming back. And it's, I'm pissed, and I think everyone should be pissed. This is a very frightening time. Well, you can be rest assured that you could probably be rest assured that Mary Boom was on the telephone to the directors of various museums in in Ohio. Anyway, so it will get there. Um, well, if it's in the museum, it's laying again. What yeah. should be on the streets where she obviously means it to be. And I agree with the observation that it would it's yes. sort of twisting the corporate, you know, propagandic right-wing agenda of most advertising in corporate yes. media, it's, it's sort of using that vocabulary on left-wing uh, Katie, you've, you've done a lot of work on public art. You wrote in the Public Art Fund's uh, recent publication. Now, um, Kruger has done work outdoors, hasn't she, in bus stops, yeah. for instance? She did, is that more effective? She's done, I think the work that's probably the most effective is the, the bill, billboards. Mm -hmm. you know, that's it. And that probably the, the, Your Body is a Battleground is the most effective piece that, that I think she's ever done. The problem is she did a piece for the Public Art Fund that was a bus, and it was covered with, mm -hmm. you know, the sort of Jenny Holzer-style truisms, and it ran from Queens to Manhattan. And I have to say it was one of the, the big failures of the Public Art Fund's last... 10 years, and it's been interesting to track the way that public art has moved. We can talk about this with Tom Otterness, yes. you know, going from sort of um, bland corporate sculptures to sort of general um, landscaping and betterment projects to working with the community, and then you'd know, her thing sort of very political, you know, work. And, and I have to say, nobody got that work, nobody liked it, and, and, um, 
it seems that people were also offended. Like they were like people in it was being directed at people in Queens and in mm -hmm. particular, like they were being scolded or, or anything, something. So it's interesting that work you'd think would be so would because it's advertising based would translate so directly and be accessible to the public. The public seems to not the public, whoever they are, it seems to not like very much. Well, I wonder how accessible Barbara Kruger is because again, I, I I just find her work talks down to the viewer. Mm -hmm. that it is so vituperative and so blunt in its presentation that it, it again, I, I reiterate the point, it doesn't, it doesn't ask for dialogue. No. It, it talks down to the viewers. So it doesn't surprise me that the good people of Queens were yes. either oblivious to or you know, offended by that fuss. Anyhow, no, no, no allusions to Warhol. She's had her 15 minutes uh, this evening. Let's press on now to Christo upstairs. Uh, where there's, I think, no shortage of ambiguity in, in the work of uh, Christo, but uh, perhaps we're also dealing with um, a language which, um, well, we're dealing with the potential of, of, of a language problem with Christo. But um, the exhibition upstairs is of maquettes and drawings. It, it's prep, if you like, for the, uh, the big event that we're to have in Central Park um, early next year when uh, uh, lots of... Um, fabric will find its way um, amidst the absent foliage of the winter landscape. Um, what do we do with Christo drawings? Do they, are they a thing in themselves, an end in themselves, or are they a bit like Kruger taken off the bus and billboard and put into the Mary Boone Gallery, um, just the watered-down uh, souvenir version of Christo? Anybody? I mean, they're there to fund the bigger projects, you know, largely, and there's nothing wrong wrong with that. I think it was interesting to see the long stream of retrospective, the small drawings of retrospective, because yeah. they were done in 2000, you know, and so I thought, you know, usually you're used to seeing those things as relics, you know, that were there from the moment and are your connection to a piece that has disappeared, and it was funny to see them redoing it, and I wondered if they did it especially at the request of this collector in Germany who has so much of their work you know, or, or because they needed the dough for the, the Central Park They project. do need the dough. I mean, that's how it will get built, is mm -hmm. by somebody buying these, these mm -hmm. things. And selling $7 million worth of drawings, I think it, it, it's a figure, something like that, is no small feat. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much those go, go, go for. But they're rather beautiful drawings. They are. That, that's the thing about Christo, that, that just looking at them is uh, mm -hmm. uh, very gratifying. Mm -hmm. Oh, are we all agreed on the gratification of a Christo drawing? I'm, I'm not sure I am, but Mario, how, how gratifying? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I find it difficult to talk about the exhibition because, you know, as it's been mentioned, it's, I, I find it largely kind of beside the point. The point is what's coming up in Central Park. The point is the Reichstag being covered in whatever, an island being surrounded. Um, you know, there's, there's certain facility to all the drawings, certainly, but I, I never got the impression that this was a, a vital part of no. the work. Um, it just seems um, kind of an addendum to something else. And so I, I would really have a hard time, other than saying the exhibition is very handsomely laid out and I could talk about certain qualities, but it, again, it feels kind of beside the point. Hmm. Gosh, we haven't chosen a winner here. Um, <laughs> Well, isn't it, isn't it odd that drawing should get to that place? I mean, you, you talk about, Arthur talks about it, them being very satisfying as drawings. Um, they seem to me to be um, satisfactory enough, but they seem to be rather dutiful 
um, kind of drawings that you'd expect from a competent architect or designer, just wanting to do a mock-up of something that you might in in a in a in an acceptable. They got a nice original hand. You can tell immediately it's Christo or his wife or his studio from a, from a distance. That's fine. No, no, there's no, there's no no harm in that. But um, but. Um, it doesn't seem they're really discovering the form that they're going to be exploring in the in the drape in the in the in the covering. What one the the what do they call it? ICA, the uh, Art Critics Organization. Oh yes. Recently issued a call for papers yes. on Christo. They say Christo has uh, been around for quite a long time, and there's a. Very sparse critical literature. Nobody's written much about Chris. Christo. He's uh, he, he's a public figure in 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 a certain sense. A lot of people outside the art world know about Christo, yes. and uh, he he's achieved something. But the really deep and interesting question is what 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 does wrapping mean? What 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 what's the symbolism of it? What's the success of it? Why is it so powerful in a certain kind of case, like the Reichstadt, where when when he wrapped the Reichstadt, that that was a very powerful presence of some uh, of some some kind. Uh, whereas the 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 islands in the Bay of Biscayne, the little plastic pink skirts that he put around them doesn't didn't seem to be affected. So there's room for some kind of criticism, but there's also room for an interpretation which I myself have not seen, and just the idea of what it what it what it means uh, to rap, since everybody knows what what kind of transfiguration takes place when you've wrapped the Pont Neuf. That that's the kind of thing. Everybody talks about the politics that are involved and how he gets people interested in, supportive of uh, what what he does. The the gates. I I talked to Christo close to twenty five years ago when he was talking about this particular project. I've been waiting for this project, as a matter of fact, all this time, and I thought it's going to be fantastic to have Christo in New York. It's going to be fantastic to walk along those paths, to see those ochre uh, curtains uh, waving from uh, the top of a gate to the top of a gate so that it'll be a kind of uh, undulating canopy and and so forth. And I thought everybody in, in the world is who everybody goes to tra- travels to go to see Christos wrapped. And finally, we've we've got got one in New York uh, due to his pertinacity and and so forth. But still, in all, the symbolism of it seems to me to be uh, up uh, uh, for analysis. Yes. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to see. Uh, it's something ex- said about yeah. it. Well, we've, we've got upstairs both the maquette and some drawings supporting yeah. the, the Reichstag. And that's a very, very interesting case in point. Of course, the Reichstag, with its history then being wrapped, um, takes on a layer of uh, poetic and political But everybody uh, always, always but talks about that one because it's the easy one. It's the easy, easy one. one. But the, the truth of the matter is he's, that's all he does anyway. He wraps. That's his, but it that's doesn't his always thing. have a big... It, but I would suggest that the, the, the big thing with wrapping the Reichstag is that the, the credit must go to the, uh, to the German parliament for commissioning it or accepting it or allowing it accepting to happen. Accepting it, yeah. Accepting it, because um, Christo didn't start his career in wrapping in order one day to wrap the Reichstag and therefore have that meaning. It's an incidental, accidental, uh, uh, lucky break that that particular wrapping was not a... Um, conceited gimmick, but uh, something of some historic resonance. 
And he started by wrapping boxes and crates left down by a dock. And at right. the beginning, I think there's a real surrealist impulse. You know, it looks like yes. one of the surrealist wrapped Absolutely. Ra- wrapped it's like objects. the man ray on that. Like the mouse. Yes, exactly. That's right. And it changed. Ducasse. Yes. Yes. Isidore Ducasse. Isidore Ducasse. Yes. So it changes Omar. during yes. his career and it takes on. And then he yes. says it means really, it's about the, the, the social meaning of getting people together to agree on it. But I think the really yes. interesting <clears throat> point that, that Arthur makes, and Jonathan Feinberg is coming out with a, a, a book on Christo, so there'll be some more serious. Our people don't, our critics don't write about Christo because they hate him, you know, because art people hate Christo, you know, and so regular people like Christo if they like art at all, ten, they tend to. But like I sh- I'll show when I talk about public art in school, I'll show my BA students Christo and they really like it, but I, I would never show it to the MA or PhD students because I know they would crucify me, you know, it, it, they would just. Hate it, and so I think that's a really interesting Why question. Is that, Why is that? Why do they hate Christo? I I do not know. Maybe maybe somebody can can say that, but like you'll never see Christo in art forum. You know, like maybe they'll give him a paragraph when they do the ga- when he does the gates. You know, the work of a lifetime or something. But you certainly saw plenty of Christo in the art forum of the sixties. But but not not anymore. That was okay at the beginning when it wasn't. I think I don't know if people think it's a <laughs> shtick or they th- think it's too easy or art. People don't, and I think that's the reason there hasn't been any criticism. It's not because he's so incredibly difficult to figure out. I think it's because, you know, since since 1975, mm-hmm. people who are like in the art world really mm-hmm. don't care for the care for the work. Well, I'm in the art world, and I don't care for the work. And so perhaps if I say why, then that would help. Um, okay, start. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't. I don't hate the work because it, it's it is what it is, and it's it's of course if you take something and wrap it up, and nobody ever expected it to be wrapped up because it's a building, and who would wrap up a building? It's going to look surreal. But that's just like the Barbara Kruger on the bus. It's a, it's an, an instant access gimmick, and um, to me it seems that every museum in the world wants to be wrapped, and every parliament <laughs> will want to be wrapped, and ultimately it's just at a at a huge corporate level, mm-hmm. not very different from the people juggling or standing and pretending to be statues standing outside the music. But there's a lot of there's a lot of art that's it's like the mono, it's like a, a custom made shirt, you know, like a made to order yes. shirt mm. for a museum, but there's so much art. That's what all institutional critique has become. Mm. Please Hansaka come to our museum and yes. make fun of us. Yes. You know, so so but Please that Barbara Kruger deconstruct Yes, but but art people like that and they don't like this. So it's not even the mm-hmm. the, the goofiness of it that that mm. is the problem. But then the, that's not all all he does. The this is the this is the paradigm the wrapped uh, uh, building the mm-hmm. running fence was not like like mm-hmm. like that the umbrellas uh, were not mm-hmm. like that the one that they're doing Valley with the Colorado Curtain. River uh, crossing the river won't be uh, like 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 that the, the, I, I haven't seen them in the flesh but I guess they right. would be maybe that's more the prettier and more right. poetic and that's because you know like Barbara Kruger that one no disrespect to members of the audience who are older than me, but you, you reach a certain age, and even if you start as this kind of crude, mono-logist, mm-hmm. you, you discover that life has some uh, subtlety, so you want to do something else, so you do umbrellas as well as wraps. But it's not, um, it's not a major departure, it doesn't seem to me. So, David, I, you haven't seen any of the other public, like the Reichstag or any of the other... I didn't go to Berlin and see it, no. It's, but have you seen any of the other big 
projects. Chris you know what? Done? I've never seen a big project. No, I've that's okay. But David and I are both at a disadvantage then because we we've never. I'm looking forward to seeing one. Um, seeing that, but I'm I, waiting. I love drapery. I love Martin Schon. <laughs> I, I love Martin Schongauer and the notion of being a modern Martin Schongauer, but instead of engraving the Virgin's drapery, you wrap the Reichstag. It, 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 I, I get it. It's, I don't have a problem with it. I get it. It does. It is poetic. It is nice. It is surreal. It is fun. But making a whole <laughs> bloody career out of right. it. Come on. I, I, what, you know, I'll do a little preemptive um, art criticism. Um, you know, looking uh, the only works I've seen are like they have upstairs with the violin, and there's a catalog that's been wrapped. And there was I've seen pieces. Um, he has a big uh, thing at the Kroller um, Moller Museum in, in Holland. And it just occurred to me that this notion of wrapping, this you know, surrealist or kind of negation, and this is whimsical, very small whimsical idea. Mm-hmm. And the thought of blowing this up to such a huge scale, I say, I wonder if that scale can be supported by this very small idea. You know, I'll have to see once the, the uh, installation in Central Park goes up, but that's something that went through my head going through the exhibition upstairs. It seems to me that one of the really sad things about what's become corporate post-war art is that an artist has one idea and they run with it. Mm-hmm. It's as if Duchamp has some tremendous success with those um, spirals that he did in around 1915. That's it. From then on, Duchamp was the spiral man and just did nothing but spirals. Now, thank goodness Duchamp was made of a sterner stuff. But I think I think we know why there's the hedgehog and the fox, as yes. Mr. Berlin would say, you know, yes. why... Why is it? Why is it? What's wrong with? I mean, you know, Roscoe Square, Square. What's what's uh, wrong? Ah, uh, no, what's no, wrong? Mondrian, all those crisscrosses. No, 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 no. that would be all Mondrian, Kelbor. Yeah. I mean, what, 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 what kind of a? I mean, I don't even understand the attitude. These, the the ones I'm familiar with, are extraordinarily poetic mm-hmm. and powerful objects. Some failures, mm-hmm. admittedly, mm-hmm. not even necessarily. But but there's an audacity in in each each of the uh, things. Uh, well, what about wrapping the Empire State Building, for example? Mm-hmm. I mean, what would that be the triumph of a career, or or would it be a bad idea? But one never knows until you undertake it. And uh, the, uh, the the running fence strikes me as 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 a piece of absolute a piece of absolute poetry. I wonder why people hate him. That that think- really. I think maybe they, they don't see it because they think it's too formal, you know, and it's formal in a way that you don't you don't actually have yes. to understand it. It's just it's they're very beautiful. The photographs of of um, the the running fence or valley curtain yeah. are very beautiful. And what's ironic is that <clears throat> for him there is some political meaning. I think he starts out as a Marxist yes. and has has the idea that he's doing something political. And I think you could see them as you know wrapping wrapping the Whitney or the Pontner for any of his plans is sort of erasing the use value of, of these objects and, and turning them in turning them into formal experiences instead. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is co- content there, but I think people mm-hmm. hate them because it's, e- it's easy, it's accessible, and it doesn't mean you get all the levels, but you can get something out of it without talking to one of us first. Yeah, but, you know, um, I, I would resist... Uh, I'm, I'm going to rebut Arthur's uh, okay. criticism of me there because, you see, Mondrian and Rothko they discover a form like mm-hmm. the sonnet and then explore it and invest it. Every 
Montreal, every Rothko has its individuality and its character. Uh, you'd have to be a Philistine to say, oh, it's just uh, the same idea. Now, you could say, oh, well, you're a Philistine because you haven't gone and looked at each individual Christo, and each individual Christo is going to be different. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, choosing which color of tarpaulin to use and deciding how many ropes are going to really be needed. These are, these are engineering jobs. This is, this, these are not intuitive artistic decisions that are taken on, on how to wrap each building. It, it, seems to me, it seems to me they are really conceptual artists in that he may have started with that surreal poetic notion of how, how weird and odd it would look to be wrapped. But now, as, of, as people are agreed, it's the debate as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, now the, the mechanics, the operation of getting communities and behind you and raising the money is part of the work. It's not... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure it is. So it's a performance thing, it's a sort of, or it's a sort of social interaction. That, that's actually as important as the result. According oh, to him. According to him, and yes, well, I think that's absolutely the right. And, and the, the Meisel Brothers in. film, where uh, you, you follow through the, the, the dialogues that take mm-hmm. place, the arguments that take, take mm-hmm. place, the question about freedom. Who, who are they to tell us what we can do on our land? I remember mm-hmm. this particular sh- uh, land, you know, rancher, rancher yes. saying, and all kinds of declarations uh, mm-hmm. emerge. Mm-hmm. Come out and and become part of what one has to think of as the moral atmosphere or the political atmosphere of the final product, mm-hmm. uh, and that, I mean that 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 takes away, it seems to me, the stigma mm-hmm. of formalism, which people say, well, I mean, this thing in the park, it, it's too formal. It's going to be pretty. You'll see the the the, the things to, to get that to happen. In Central Park, mm-hmm. that was really tough. That was mm-hmm. really hard. It was resisted for a very long time here, and I think when that history is written, mm-hmm. it, it'll be it'll be it'll be worth 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 reading. It'll but, be a great New York. But the politics it? is like the you know like the mm-hmm. box next to the bride mm-hmm. in Duchamp, and the whole yes. work has got to be compounded of that. Okay, okay. It's a question I perhaps for some of us have trouble taking an aesthetic pleasure from what is just um, a very interesting New Yorker article by Calvin Tompkins about the uh, intrigues and ins and outs of getting a Christo to happen. To, to me, I mean, to somebody, I, perhaps, I mean, I'm, Arthur's a philosopher, but maybe to somebody who's not very interested in art but is fascinated by corporate power politics, the story of how a Christo happens might be more fascinating than the thing itself or a Rothko or a Mondrian. And that's fine. I mean, I, I'm all for a, a plurality of pleasurable experiences, but to me it's not aesthetics. It's also non-collectible, you know. I mean, in the end it just uh, gets deconstructed into so many yards of rope, so many pieces of fabric. And, and Has anyone actually seen, seen one in person who would... Vouch for How us? was it? Yeah. Well, I was from, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and he wrapped... Or he, we have this park that's actually in Missouri, not Kansas. But they, he wrapped the park with gold, so like yellow brick, yellow brick road, like a Wizard of Oz. And um, to me, that that was more like an entertainment mm-hmm. than it was. It was kind of shallow. Mm-hmm. And actually, also a lot of people from that part of the world are kind of don't like that reference because they feel like, like if you say you're from Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, you know, 
getting them to do it because I was really young. You know, when I, was, when I was looking at the show here, I was speaking with uh, Kathleen Brady, who's the uh, uh, press yes. officer here at the National Academy, and there was a, a mother and her son, like 14-year-old, um, goes to Dalton. They overheard that I was an art critic, so he had a paper to write on the Christo exhibition, so they came <laughs> scuttling right over to me. And he asked me all these questions, and uh, I'm giving them my sage wisdom. And she keeps saying to her son, write it down, write it down, he's an art critic. In any event, she said, you know, the only thing I get from this work is chutzpah. That's the only thing I get from this work is chutzpah. And so I wonder if that's kind of something that may rub people the wrong way. Like they hate him because he's free. It's, it's a very strange idea. I didn't actually see my family living in Berlin, and I was there shortly after it came down. They were talking about how the, the park in front of the, the Reichstag became an area for people to gather at. They brought their family and they came to the picnic area. It was like, the, and you're talking about the, the building represents the darkest moment in European history in the 20th century, in, in many centuries probably. And it, it, it psychologically buried some kind of demon that the, the German people had. It was a fascinating experience. Everyone in Berlin felt it. So there's a depth to that work. I mean, on one side, of the Yellow Brick Road might be a, a you know yeah. entertainment, but there's something very deep about what he did, and the audacity, but the, the <coughs> impact it had on an entire nation and an entire city. You can't overlook that. Again, context, context, context. That's, thank you for that. I find that a very valuable comment. Well, could somebody, I mean, I see Chris as, as an artist, producer, entrepreneurial. Those, he has those kinds of skills as an artist. But could somebody address the deeper meaning of rapping? You know, what is that? Transformation. Wow. We, oh, we took I a couple of guesses about... I think uh, we could all have psychological fun with it. I mean, it's uh, there's a Henry Moore of a kind of people standing around a wrapped object on a beach from 1938, and we've already mentioned the Man Ray uh, homage uh, to Isabel, Isidore Ducasse, which is, uh, I, I guess it must be an umbrella on a sewing machine that are wrapped up and they're on a dissecting table. Um, and And... The whole drapery thing. I mean, it's it's all very primal, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm mummification. mummification, but also if you look at that fascination with drapery in the Middle Ages, with Madonna and child and lots of drapery, or the death of the Virgin and lots of drapery. I mean, it's um, it's something to get lost in. It's it's. Um, I think I think it's almost as as obvious as a Barbara Kruger what what draping and and wrapping means. Uh, it's a shortcut to something poetic and and mysterious, but it's such a shortcut that it's not very poetic and right. not very mysterious. Does he ever talk about what it means to him? No. Well, uh, Arthur know. might know. I I I don't care. But does he talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, he's not a philosopher. Uh, he 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 conceives these projects mm-hmm. and tries to get them enacted. And he's he's he's, he's very persuasive and he's very persistent. Mm-hmm. But he is a political person mm-hmm. in that in that way. And uh, I, I think you know he'd leave the philosophy to somebody else like me. What I find, what I do like and don't like about him is that he's very Wagnerian. I and mean, you mentioned this idea of this. Um, uh, artist, entrepreneur. You mentioned somebody at the back about the whole German history thing. 
it is very Wagner. I mean, he's he's uh, what Romanian or whatever, but um, Bulgarian. Bulgarian, sorry, Bulgarian. But it is. Um, it's both attractive and frightening that a, an artist should have such ego and impose one very strong, simple idea and make galvanizing pe the people, the folk, into actually part of the meaning and part of the idea. It's both both inspiring and a bit of a turn-off at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that I find interestingly why ambiguous. Why are you turned off by that? Uh, well, because of what um, it can lead to. What can it lead to? What can it lead to? Holocaust. Fascism from the Biscayne Bay. Well, <laughs> well, it's a stretch. So there's a middle term in that syllogism, which is Richard Wagner, and so. Yes. Um, I think we're maybe done with. Sorry, unless, unless people are bursting. I think yeah, he go. deals with the issue of ego pretty interestingly because obviously you have to have ego and you have to be driven, you have to be maniacal. But somehow, okay, we we know the name Christopher. I think he's pretty much in the background. Most people's, what they know is of the project, the image of the project, what it took to get the project going. Um, I don't know if, I think it's pretty interesting um, that so many people respond negatively to his success and uh, don't focus, don't, don't see the, the poetry and the formalism and the different psychological fun they can have with interpretation. You know, I have no problem with the success. I just have a problem with this work. I'm happy for him. Is he success? I think successful. we're sort of we. I don't know how we can really evaluate the work until we've seen. Until we've seen it. We've had the crystal. Let's come back in six months when we've seen so, Central so Park. So you have to review the show. Early years when he first started, mm -hmm. there, to some extent, it was very exciting. People were, you know, drawing and drawn by what he his idea was, and they were much more crude. They were not as uh, skillfully handled. But there was a lot of chit-chat and excitement about him mm -hmm. and his wife and that they were doing this stuff together and the fact that they were just wrapping everything uh, mm -hmm. and hiding stuff, in a sense, you know, uh, and yet revealed. This was yeah. early. Yes. Really early. Well, same time it is. happened with Wegman, right? I mean, you know, the dogs yes. were cute and everything. It was interesting. And now it's this monster mm -hmm. project. But he was right. going against something there in the beginning. But I think it's very, very interesting that we started trying with the earnest endeavor to give a critical review, the four of us, professionals, of the show, which is a few yards away from us. And very quickly, we were discussing the man and the meaning of the work and the whole career and the whole philosophy behind it. I mean, that's, we tried our best and we failed, and I think it's, it was an interesting failure. Well, I think that's the kind of show it is. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the show implies the, the things that are not in right. the show. Right. Just right. as the work implies yeah. the thing that's not there because it's wrapped. Excellent. Nice segue. <laughs> that wraps up, Christo. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move to the work of Carol Dunham, showing at the Barbara Gladstone Gallery. Um, who, was, was, was one of my panelists very moved by that show? You know, I, I'm, this, this fall I'm teaching a uh, first-year graduate painting course at Pratt Institute. And... Uh, <laughs> Carol Dunham's name came up in the conversation, and, and most of these people are new to New York, and they never heard of him, and they're new to the art scene. And I said, well, he's a, an artist um, who especially is painting dickheads. And they all laughed, and I was deadly serious. That is what he paints. So I was kind of pleased by this exhibition that the dickhead is on the way out. Um, not, a limited thought, presence, but there. A, a presence, limited but there. presence, you might say. Mm -hmm. That's um, and I, that's, I think that's all to the good. Mm -hmm. um, however, what I found 
kind of <coughs> depressing about the exhibition has less to do with Carol Denham than it has with Philip Guston. Mm-hmm. Now, Philip Guston is one of my favorite artists of the latter half of the century. Mm-hmm. But he's left like an awful legacy. Mm-hmm. Almost every artist who follows in his wake, um, it's almost like he gave leeway to paint bad cartoons. And n- very few artists um, who, who have been inspired by Guston's late work, I think, have been managed to build upon it in any kind of... Um, I almost want to say moral way, but in moral or painterly way. And so I just, I just think Carol Dunham's work is completely trivial. <coughs> I, I like the show, which doesn't sound so good after that sentence. But, but that, I thought one of the interesting things for me was that I reviewed a show of his a couple of years ago and gave it a very mixed review. And I think this is one of those artists that he's like a, a New York guy. He's showing every couple of years. He's a real presence. He teaches at Columbia. So he's really around. And so for, for an art critic, at least for me, and I think Mario mentioned this too, that one of this is a show that I would that I would, unlike this one, that I would review by comparing it to the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, for me, this was a really good show because it was, for many reasons, it was better than the last show. And I thought he had learned from two of his students, from Matthew Ritchie, for this, had scaled up his work, and then Barnaby Furness, a young student mm-hmm. of his who shows at Marion Bosky, who's a brilliant watercolorist. And so instead of trying to build up this sort of scumbly materiality, sort of on the surface of the work, it was scaled up and there was a lot of a lot of medium in the paint. Mm-hmm. And so it was very loose and very thin and very watery. And I thought it, it worked for him. So I guess that was my my real interest in the work was how is it how was it changing? Mm-hmm. I got interested in the, the shirt. You look at a thing and it looks like an abstraction. And then you you concentrate on it for a while, all of a sudden you see there's a shirt and a necktie. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes on its side, sometimes it's up like that. And then there are a set of testicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, little pink things that, that are sticking out of the collar somewhere and so forth and so on. And I, 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 I wonder, well, wh- wh- why is he doing it? What's the point of it? And mm-hmm. so forth. It's, an, it, it's, it's a display of painting of a certain sort. But I, 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 I thought it's a it's a, it's a it's two years' work, mm-hmm. but to what end and to what purpose and what are we mm-hmm. supposed to take from it? That I got in a way more interested in the sculpture, to tell mm-hmm. you the truth, uh-huh. because which looked like ink blots in a certain kind of way. I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't read them in any kind of way, but I, I I was half afraid to identify what these were forms of, and so forth. I didn't want to know, and 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 so it it, it left me with that. That slightly un- uncertain, uncertain feeling, I, and I also thought, well, I, I mean, it's interesting. Just uh, balls, right? This yes. is, the, 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 these, it, it's a compliment in a way, whereas the dick is not, and so forth. That that struck me as though uh, uh, this goes with the shirt, the tie, the all-American male. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some message of some kind, but it didn't seem deep to me. Oh, and you were left, really, with the pain. Well, that's funny you say that. There was definitely a message, but precisely because it wasn't such a clear message as, say, Barbara Kruger, I found it to be more resonant and more interesting. I think there's a, there's a very interesting... Uh, I, it, I, I never planned it this way, but certainly the way we got Kruger and then, uh, and then, and, and then Dunham and then we're going to end up with Tom Ottenes, all of them are taking a pot shot at a certain... Um, 
a certain there's a certain political pot shot in all of them. Yeah. And I found I really I, that this, this character, which talking of Guston, really reminds me of his uh, whole uh, Richard Nixon series of mm-hmm. portraits as a sort of penis head. That that this um, this character that he's invented, uh, this dickhead character as you describe him, seems to me like a, a, a modern uh, version, or actually not that modern because the dress he wears is mid-century. But he seems to be a kind of ubourgeois type figure. Um, this preposterous, um, uh, bloated, um, uh, high, tester- high testosterone bourgeois, but at the same time a rather kind of cuddly, lovable uh, character, and not one that's being uh, the subject of kind of the vitriol that somebody like Barbara Kruger would, would in- inflict on, on such a character. So he's this, he's this, he's this very fleshy, very uh, corpulent, very corporate type of character. But um, we sort of can follow a narrative around the gallery. And it's not, a, it's not a blatant and explicit narrative, but I found myself entertained and, and intrigued. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring up the, the, the Philip Augustine. He did a series of, what is it called, Poor Richard? Poor, yes, Poor Richard. On, on, um, on, on Richard Nixon and his associates, and there's a lot of phallic imagery in that as well. And what's what I found quite stunning about that those set of drawings is it, it's clear that Gustin hated Nixon. It's also clear that Gustin understood a lot about Nixon, and in in a sense, it becomes much more constrainedly sympathetic at times to Nixon. Mm-hmm. And I think one reason is is because Gustin was very invested in creating this this, this personal mm-hmm. cosmos, this personal world. Mm-hmm. Dunham doesn't do that. He never gets beyond a kind of a, a schematic, kind of cartoony cock and balls. Um, you know, he did his Armageddon series a couple of years ago. It's all very schematic. And it, part of the reason I, I, I don't think he has the painterly goods to really give this world any flesh. And I think that's why he's kind of playing that game between represent, uh, with recognizable imagery of a sort Mm-hmm. and abstraction. It's, I don't think he has the painterly wherewithal to really flesh this world out. I guess for me, for the, the Gustin thing, which is so obviously there, it's not about Nixon, it's about Gustin's self-portraits. And I think any time a man, a, a male painter, paints men doing loathsome, sort of squirty, violent things over and over again, he's pointing to himself in, in some way, ultimately, just the same way as a woman, who, like Lisius Cavage, who takes the female over and over again as the subject. So I think he, this is really about some, some sort of primal way him, himself, just as Gustin's portraits were. So I think that what the problem is, is that, as you say, he's not specific enough. And he is, you know, from Connecticut and prep school and everything, and maybe it's hard to, to loosen up enough to really let that self-loathing out or, or something, but that it's, it's too generalized with the guns and the, and the general um, me- badness of, of, of the male impulse is the, is the problem. And I think, for me, this time he got away from some of that generalizing about society and the urban, urban violence and tried to do something a little more interesting formally. formally. Yes, I thought formally they were interesting, but they were... Um, one... While I say I enjoy the sense of a narrative in the show, I was very troubled by the ubiquitousness of the the, 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 the the repetition and conformity of the show. I mean, we seem to have one palette for the whole show, the paintings. The, the sculptures look like one thing, pretty much. Um, it seemed like this is this year's line. It almost looked like mm-hmm. a fashion show. Exactly. That this is, uh, and then the 
Guston and Picasso, I think, were the big, strong, positive influences. But I think there's plenty of Keith Haring and Julian Schnabel in there as well. Um, very 80s. Is that, uh, for a 90s artist, that's interesting. That Turns out so he was a better painter in the 80s than he is now, mm. at least in more interesting pictures. I yes. Think. Just what, did, what do you think the narrative was? I mean, when I think of a narrative, I think of a be- beginning, middle, and an end. Yes. What was the beginning? What was the middle? What was the end? It just seemed like just variations on a shirt. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, yes, it's, not, it's true that he was not involved in specific narrative incidents. But we have him on the beach. We have the, the beach turning around. There's a sense of this of the, the drunken boat slightly. Um, uh, yeah, there's no beginning. There's no middle, and there's no end. But there's a sense of uh, there's, there's, there's a sense Postcards. there's a sense of a possibility of a character. I guess I thought it was cinematic without being narrative. He's obviously he seems instead of framing it like the way with the whole group inside and then there's space around it. He's going in for close-ups. He's cutting into uh-huh. the, some scene and who knows what the narrative is. I think he's not, I think he's mm-hmm. too vague mm-hmm. but, but there is a feeling of, of trying to do something different with the, the viewing mm-hmm. that I think is, is mimicking the, the camera. Mm-hmm. Audience, you've seen Carol Dunham. What, what, what was your I take? Mean, I just want to say one point of order. Uh, doesn't teach at Columbia, is at oh, Yale. Sorry. It's all right. Well, we have a best, Art and I have a vested interest in them. Uh, a couple things. One, one thing, just in reference to what Mario said, I mean, it, we can get into a whole thing about Gustin, and it's easy to gravitate towards that because it's so needy. But the, more, the, the influence of Gustin, it seems to me, is never the interesting influence, the way it's pervasive, is the moral influence, which you mentioned, not the, not the sort of stylistic influence, you know, and quite aside from Dunham. You know, as a topic here, that's the, that's the powerful lesson for people from my generation mm-hmm. and yours, I guess, too. You know, for for Gustin as a moral influence. The, but the curious thing about the show, and I, you know, apart from any critical comment that none of you have mentioned, is what was the furniture part? I'm not talking about the IKEA tables, mm-hmm. but that also aligns with the, the framing, mm-hmm. which was extremely self-conscious. You know, and really heavy hard work. Did you notice how it was hung on the wall? Oh my god! And I was just trying to figure out the kind of there was a strange disjuncture between the the weight of that framing device, which was very deliberate, obviously, and then the the, the sort of the thinness and the scant quality of on the on the canvas. And I, I don't know, you you all didn't mention that. I don't know what you thought of that. Well, I, I was certainly uh, underwhelmed by the sculpture, which seemed to really be a a, a bit of a cul-de-sac I hope he doesn't bother I mean I in my review I, I rather dismissed them as I said I said they looked like Tom Wesselman playing a joke at the expense of Anthony Caro I mean they, they didn't seem to be really sculpture as, as such they seem to be some sort of ornamental statuary and I uh, but as I say the paintings seem to have a, a lot more going on in them and um, what, what did you think of the framing though how did, how how did you put that in the context? Because it was the framing. Part put, of the, the framing. Part of the, paintings. the framing really seemed very, very 1980s. It put me in mind of uh, Heim Steinbeck or somebody. It seemed to be um, uh, a very heavy-handed intervention. I think a lot of artists today. I mean, you could see that in Jessica Stockholder's show at Gorney Brav and Lee earlier. Have the idea of of even if they're doing traditional painting, how do I make this more into an installation? How do I make it, how do I create a context for myself? Because you've seen a generation of younger, people who are younger than them, like Jorge Pardo painting on the walls, people painting behind, or you know, Richard Tuttle is much older who does it. Yes. 
creating your context by painting on the wall or creating some setting or putting right. furniture in the gallery and creating a whole environment. Ritchie, and so as you mentioned. Uh, Matthew Ritchie, I think this is something else that he, he learned from him to try and control and, and specify the, mm-hmm. the, that blank white wall <laughs> environment. So you're, you're seeing it as an installation. No, but I think the, the idea of seeing installations as a whole has really colored the way people make art. The advent of installation art has really changed the way that people make traditional 2D and 3D work. You know, so if it won't stand up to these spaces on its own. Yes. I think it's making more than a couple generations of of painters, certainly, incredibly self-conscious about um, exhibiting in... in, Anywhere. Not to mention the MFA class where you're constantly, right. you know, you come into this crummy little room with a pedestal and they keep saying, how are you going to install it? How are you, you know, they, you know, they really teach you in school to be very self-conscious about the presentation of the work. So I think it's right. school plus installation equals this kind of an environmental right. thinking. Yes. Great. Well, um, we, we come now to Tom Ottenis, um, whose uh, installation, quote unquote, uh, stretches from Columbus Circle to Columbia. Um, so we started with an American flag and we ended up with um, Columbus to Columbia Um, uh, obvious points of similarity aren't there between uh, Tom Martinez and both all all three artists who've preceded him in in discussion Um, this is a very curious career isn't it somebody who's now becoming an immensely popular American public um, artist uh, whose work, as we see, uh, appeals to children, um, is taken up by uh, gov- governmental sort of bodies. Um, and what's his imagery? It's it's uh, an almost Brechtian um, satire on, on capitalism, the uh, monopoly board characters come to life. Um, what's going on here? I don't know what's going on, but I happen to live on 114th Street, and it was... Uh, <coughs> It's going to be gone fairly quickly. I mean, just yes. before Thanksgiving, it'll be all somewhere else. But it was a marvelous experience to walk. Uh, every day, I walk up 114th Street, and one day, all of a sudden, here is this uh, uh, bronze thing. Where did that come from? I mean, it was like a visitor from outer space. And uh, there was a lot of interest in it. A lot of people were standing around, and they were looking at it. They were looking at the the plaque that showed uh, all the other ones and so forth. But that's waned, and it waned very quickly. It was, a, I don't know, the end day wonder. It was something like that. Now, each day I go, I go is anybody looking at this thing? Is anybody paying any attention to this thing? Are people trying to figure it out? And it, it really didn't keep uh, any any interest, what whatever, in my, my little community up up, up, up there. People sit on those benches and uh, they pay absolutely no attention to it. And I think uh, I, I'm just wondering what uh, November 22nd, November 23rd, November 24th, people are going to say, whatever happened to that damn thing and so forth. But I don't think it's made a huge impression on the Columbia neighborhood. I don't know what Columbus Circle would be like, but... Sounds like a, a successful public art, then, if people have <laughs> learned to completely ignore it. Um, Katie? I think that's why public art gets put up so so often in tourist neighborhoods, like Columbus Circle, Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Plaza, is because it's it's meant to be seen you know, constantly by new people. 
But also I think that part of the reason that public art is becoming entirely temporary because I mean, we, and you even think, oh, tut tut, those people don't look at it. But you think of us, we almost never go to a, see a show a second time. You know, people people really don't. Uh-huh. If you had a big Mondrian hanging outside your house, you probably wouldn't wouldn't go to look at that every day either. Um, so, so I'm not sure if that's a critique of the mm-hmm. sculpture mm-hmm. or of, of public art in mm-hmm. in general or yes. art in general. I don't, I don't know. Perhaps we should not make the same mistake we made with Christo and, and try to focus on. Tom Ottenness's work here, um, as we've experienced it on Broadway. Um, Before Mario, we do that, let me mention yes, something. Yes, please. And maybe Katie can address this as well, because you've written about public art extensively, right? And um, it just made me wonder about the whole public part of public art, looking at uh, walking at Broadway, looking up the Ottenesses in the middle of traffic medians. Now, it kind of alarmed me seeing the slide of children playing a nut sculpture in the middle of a traffic median. <laughs> Uh, now, I got assigned to do this by David, and it, it's kind of hard to go see those. You have to stand in the middle of the median, you have to cross the street. Um, most of these pieces are seen by people zooming by it on godly speeds in taxi cabs. I mean, how much, how much are people really seeing that work? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with plop art, isn't that, you have an essay in that book. In, uh, it's a book about public art, and, and plop is meant as like a Henry Moore, like a modernist. The turd in the plaza. Okay, yes. yeah. I almost think that public art has become plop art more in terms of, of a verb, where you just plop it down and you hope people look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had something brilliant to say, and it slipped right under my mind. <laughs> well, is there some extent to which Tom Ottenes is absolutely aware of that phenomenon and running with it and doing something clever and funny with it? Or is he just a victim of that phenomenon? No. You know, when you know where he's doing it? If you go to the 14th mm-hmm. Street subway station where you have the yes. A and the E and the C yeah. trains, yes. there he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he does it in a very charming and a very mm-hmm. funny way where mm-hmm. one of the figures is actually sitting on the subway bench. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there are alligators coming out of the manhole covers. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is a successful um, um, you know, public art project. Yes. Those are more site-specific. I mean, in, just yeah. in that they're, yes. they're not about the subwayness, all of them, but some of them are, and they're, mm-hmm. they're interacting yes. with the, the architecture of the subway and mm-hmm. crawling underneath the gates and, and stuff like that. So it's, I think it works better than the, piece, mm-hmm. than, the, than the piece on Broadway. But I guess I had signed my undergraduates to go see it because, you know, it's public art, and we were talking about that. And it was interesting to see that I had, you know, out of 50 kids... You know a range of responses, but then three kids who are who are friends and very much the same. They're like they're all 21 and they're all Hispanic and they all live in Harlem. You know, so so they had three very. You know, one said, "Oh, I wish they had had art here the whole time I was growing up. My life might have been different. I might have become an artist earlier." You know, someone someone else said. Um, what are these people doing? They, we didn't ask for this stuff, and they threw it in the middle of our neighborhood. And what are they trying to tell us? You know, are they trying to teach us some social moral lesson? Well, the cartoons are too silly, and these issues are too serious for, for cartoons. And then a third person said, it's really mean to have those people dancing around on, on money, you know, because we don't have any money. And we feel bad seeing those people with their free money, is the title of one of the pieces, dancing around in that money bag all the time. So I guess I thought it was really interesting for me because we're always generalizing about who the public is and what they think about art to see that three people who are so you know, nominally similar from similar backgrounds had three totally different reactions. So, so I'm never going to do that again in a piece of art criticism, you know, assume what other people think about something. That's a, a, a wise caution, uh, <laughs> yeah. certainly. But... Um, 
I've, I've always found Otterness intriguing. I mean, I, I, I kind of like... as I don't think public art should really be cordoned off from uh, so-called, uh, you know, art world art. I, I think that um, the much maligned Henry Moore, the, the, the ubiquitous turd in the plaza, I think that's just ridiculous and too easy, and that Henry Moore is a, a major and wonderful and rich sculptor, and, and that one can have... Um, genuine, the, the kind of experience that he was aiming to elicit. One can have a kind of primal experience, one can have a sense he of the sublime. He wanted to be a, bro- a brooch on a, on a building. That's, that was his aim. That's sort of you know, not exactly That's shooting lovely. for the skies. You know, to be, he wanted to be a piece of jewelry tacked to the modernist on the contrary, he said, he said he objected to the notion of the sculptor as being the piece of jewelry. Oh, I who, who said this? Henry, Henry Moore. Moore. I, believe, I, I believe he said that he, that's what we can find. We can situation. find it out. But, but at any rate, th- what this does remind me of is big jewelry. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it has the depth of jewelry, mm-hmm. fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, you can attach, you know, some kind of larger message. Uh, anti-money, I don't know exactly what, mm-hmm. what, what his attitude toward economics is and so forth, but it, 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 sculpture, somehow one wants to be a bit more heroic than that. Uh, and so you say, if it belongs in a playground, okay. But if, if it's here on, on Broadway where, you know, people, people sit on those uh, medians, you mm-hmm. use that, that, that word, uh, uh, it, they, they play a function in, 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 in the neighborhood. Though it's a very functional space, uh, even though Riverside Park and Central Park are not that far away. This is where people, like Isaac Bashevis Singer, sits and talks to people. And you, you, always uh, groups of people are, are on, those, uh, on those benches. What, what does this give them? Uh, and and I, I thought it gave them something to talk about for a very short time, but I don't think they even talk very much about what does it mean, what are those those pennies mm-hmm. and, yes. and so forth, which is not even an interesting piece of currency for the most part, for a large economic message or not, mm-hmm. capitalistic message or something of that sort, or money bags, which is a 19th century kind of mm-hmm. message. Yes. Uh, it seems to be Mr. Magoo, the, the shade of Mr. Magoo is in, in, in yeah. these uh, pieces. Right. It's the, as with Barbara Kruger, it seems to me um, yesterday's radicalism, today's um, decoration. But did you see the one piece on 84th Street, which is the only piece that really interested me as a sculpture? Yes. It's a, a, like a big monumental head. So it's very classical. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's the best autumn's piece I've ever seen. It works, it functions for me as, as almost pure sculpture rather than kind of, mm-hmm. kind of a Fisher Price agitprop moralizing, which has its charms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I was quite stunned to see that piece. I, I quite enjoyed it. I guess I think he's better than Barbara Kruger because yes. I think, you know, he says, and I'm interested in money, so he says money is the thing that, every, you know, runs everyone's lives. It's so central to our lives and no one ever makes art about it because art's supposed to be above money. So here I'm going to take it on as my subject. And he shows, you know, a range of, you know, from the miser to the landlord, you know, different subjects. And I think, you know, tries to make it palatable or sort of sneak it in, you know, by, by sugar, sugar coating it with a, with a cartoon. I think we're, we're running towards the end of our allotted time but I'm going to throw out a, a question that I didn't prep the panel with but it seems to me that uh, we somehow or another I mean we, we, we choose these shows among ourselves we I sort of aim at some kind of consensus and then a, a bit of a balance in the choice of shows we get um, I, I, I'm 
surprised a little bit by the, the, the course of this evening because th there's no one show in which the majority on the panel were very enthusiastic. So let me ask the panellists finally to nominate one show, that perhaps <laughs> one or two shows, that perhaps actually in a funny way tie in with the themes of the artists we've looked at this evening that you would single out as being something that uh, the audience here should make sure they see while they can. Would anyone able to say is it perhaps a show that they'd in retrospect love to have uh, debated this evening that, that is closer to their heart or well, you didn't pick any of the shows I used to pick so, so I don't know who picked the shows for tonight but I guess one thing since every one thing we talked about tonight was somehow trying to hook into popular American popular culture through graphic design through illustration or cartooning including uh -huh. the, the Carol Dunham to trying to reach the public I would say to take the opposite view and go see an artist who really is just talking to people who go see art all the time and make art and really love art and is not ashamed of it and the Richard Tuttle show at the drawing center opened tonight and that's somebody who's not trying to speak to everyone although he's not trying to shut anyone out he's not trying to plug into American culture he's trying to He's trying to do his own his own mm -hmm. thing, so I think it's interesting because it's the opposite. Mm. One show I, I really enjoyed um, it's the exhibition at PS One of paintings by Manny Farber, oh. um, yeah. best known as as, as a, a film critic, mm -hmm. a rather a great painter. And um, I was kind of really swept away by the work. And in the end, you know, Katie says he's a great painter. I'm, I'm not going to go that far, but um, there's some very good paintings in it. And what I get most from that exhibition is is kind of an artist really kind of delving very deeply in his work. And I just left that show with such a spring in my step. Um, it reminded me, unlike so much art, I, I you know we come across that art making is an inherently optimistic thing. And um, I left. For once in my life, I left PS1 believing that. <laughs> uh, yesterday, when I reviewed uh, Dunham, I also paired him up with um, Richard Bosman, who has a show at the Elizabeth Harris Gallery. And um, Mario mentioned, and I completely concur with him, that uh, Guston's an example of a great painter with a fairly awful legacy and that uh, so many people pick up from the, the goofy, late, bad Guston. Um, I mean, bad in quotes, good, bad. Um, but somebody who seems to be a very good bad painter uh, and was actually taught personally by Guston is, is Richard Bosman. I, I find those to be uh, alienating, weird, extraordinary, but uh, ultimately also compelling paintings. Arthur? I, I, I was thinking uh, of um, Romar Bearden, to tell you the mm -hmm. truth. I think that's an extremely interesting mm -hmm. artist. And... Um, uh, an artist who's really struggling with the history of art in, in a way in which nobody we've talked about mm -hmm. tonight seems to, be, right. seems to be doing, and, and finds the most interesting thing about this show, I've just written about it, so I've been thinking about it, is the 40s are there, the 60s are there, but there's a, the 50s are missing in some way. There's a hole in his life somehow. In a, in a way, it's the most dramatic thing to, to, you cross from the 40s when he was showing at Coots mm -hmm. into the 60s when he's showing at Cordia and Ekstrom. But in between, he, he was writing songs because he'd lost faith in painting. He didn't know what kind of a painter he wanted to be. And then, and then he found this, this uh, uh, way of bringing 
what he called Negro experience in as a as a subject, which he had permission to do in the 60s, but didn't have permission to do that in the 40s. In the 40s, he was a successful painter who happened to be black. But in, 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 in the 60s, that's all changed. And there's a tremendous sense of the movement of American art, art history and how the, he didn't make the 60s, but I think he was one of the people that the 60s made into a successful artist. And I think those are really marvelous. Those, those montages are really, really marvelous things. Great. And there's also a kind of... Uh, I, I mean, he, he, he's, he, he's affectionate about... What what he's he's displaying, you very rarely see that uh, in in an artist. There's a kind of amused affection in mm-hmm. in all all of those those mo- montage and, and, and ironically ends up being less sentimental than some of the kind of vitriol right. in, in 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 other artists we've looked at this evening. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and panel and National Academy, thank you very much. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, you. Thank Thank you very you. much indeed. Is that how they, how they go? Yeah, the last one was a little more boisterous, but the, the, this was a little, much more. Jerry Robertson is here. That's right. That's right. Well, Robertson. <laughs> Jerry Soft likes to antagonize people. Yes, so. he's good at that. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed. I thought it was a nice. It was interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it too, Arthur. You never know.